All right, so we are in ch chapter 46 um, of Jeremiah. Last week, uh, Jeremiah, or I guess it was two weeks ago, chapter 45, shortest chapter in the book of Jeremiah. It was a, a, an opportunity where we take a moment, step back, reminded of, uh, go back actually um, a, a few years, several years in the narrative and um, in God's faithfulness to Baruch, the scribe for Jeremiah and um, was, was the topic and how he would bless them because he, he was one of the few that remained faithful. But now, beginning in chapter 46, we, um, it's a section in uh, the book of Jeremiah that is covering a number of oracles to the nations. Um, and uh, in a minute, I'm going to share a slide on that, how from the very beginning, really, of the book of Jeremiah, from chapter 1 even, um, we understand that his ministry, Jeremiah's ministry, he, is, he was called to be also a prophet to all the nations, not just to Israel, not just to Judah. So, again, we shouldn't be surprised that this is here in this, uh, in the Bible, in this, uh, at, in, in the book of Jeremiah. One thing to point out, we, in our, the Bibles that we use and our, our translations that we have, it's based on the Masoretic text, and the Septuagint, which was what was used in the first century, uh, largely, um, not just the first century, but it puts these prophecies that we find at the end of Jeremiah in a different order, beginning, of, I believe it was with chapter 26. And so they're, at, they're in a different order, and they're in a different um, ordering of the several prophecies that we're going to go through over the next several weeks. Um, but ours are found at the end. Ours are found at the end. So what I wanted to show you real quick is just this one slide. I really only have one slide to share today. And it's how these several prophecies to the nations kind of lay themselves out. Again, if this is the Septuagint version, they would be in a different order starting at chapter 26. So we start off with Egypt. That's what we're covering today. And so you can see, well, uh, his prophecy to the, the Philistines and then the Moab, Am, Ammon, Edom, uh, we, several actually in chapter 49, and then finalizing with Babylon. And then after that, we have our final chapter of the book of Jeremiah. So these nations are addressed, and um, uh, also just one little bit of trivia here. The first nation that's addressed in the Septuagint is Elam, um, and we're finding that at the end of ours in our translated in the Masoretic text. Well, no nation has been more intimately connected with, um, with Israel and her past than Egypt, who we're talking about today. Um, in fact, the nation of Egypt is mentioned over 700 times um, in the Bible, and in just and in the formula itself, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That is mentioned 125 times in the Bible. So Egypt, we know, is um, a nation that's 
well, we're well familiar with when we read scripture. Egypt often, often reminds us of um, when scripture speaks of it in, in a sense of going back to, to bondage. Um, in the bondage of sin, even on a more um, figurative perspective. So we're very familiar with the nation of Egypt. Uh, if we go back in time, um, Pharaoh Nico, he had defeated Judah and he killed King Josiah. Um, he did this at the Battle of Megiddo, and that was around 609 BC when that happened. Um, and the specific historical event that really this first oracle deals with in the first stanza, um, it refers to the defeat of this same pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho, um, at Carchemish, the Battle of Carchemish, um, which is just located between Syria and, and modern-day Turkey. Uh, but at that battle, at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, he was defeated. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't yet king. He was soon to be the king. But he was defeated by, by Nebuchadnezzar, who had proved himself in that battle to be uh, quite the military strategist. So very effective in that. Um, as we'll see here in a minute as we start reading the text, the timing of this is in the fourth year of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that infamous king. Jehoiakim. So this puts this timing right now around 605 BC. Um, that's the timing of this particular oracle, um, at least the first stanza anyways. In uh, the second oracle against Egypt, which is in the second stanza, uh, it, it's a bit more difficult to determine the precise timing of this. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that is lacking in the text to try to get in a, uh, a precise timing. Um, really the best guess that scholars, particularly one that I, I like to refer to, uh, Walt Kaiser, he puts it around the air at timing of 568 B.C. Um, and so that, that should be the time Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt, um, what we were reading about back in chapter 44. And so that's kind of the background that we have here starting off um, for this. You'll just bear with me. Let me pull up something. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. And let's read that first stanza, verses 1 through 2 of chapter 46. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, concerning the nations, about Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt. which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now, it says, I'll just stop there real quick. It says Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I had just mentioned that he wasn't king at this time. Well, he wasn't, but it was in an anticipation of what he was to become. Um, we'll get to a, a little bit more of that here in a minute. Um, picking up in verse 3. Prepare buckler and shield in advance for battle. Harness the horses, mount, O horsemen. Take your stations with your helmets. Polish your spears, put on your armor. Why have I seen it? 
They are dismayed and have turned backward. Their warriors are beaten down and have fled in haste. They look not back. Terror on every side, declares the Lord. The swift cannot flee away, nor the warrior escape. In the north, by the river Euphrates, they have stumbled and fallen. Who is this, rising like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. He said, I will rise, I will cover the earth, I will destroy cities and their inhabitants. Advance, O horses, and rage, O chariots. Let the warriors go out, men of Cush and Put, who handle the shield, men of blood, skilled in handling the bow. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt. In vain you have used many medicines. There is no healing for you. The nations have heard your shame, and the earth is full of your cry, for warrior has stumbled against warrior. They have both fallen together. All right, so here we find a, a very graphic description of this famous battle at Carchemish uh, described here. Uh, the, the Battle of Carchemish, uh, it's, it's pivotal for um, it's pivotal for the you know this the history of this area of the ancient Near East. Uh, it was in this Babel battle, of course, where Babylon won. Babylon, what they clearly established themselves as, as a superpower at this time, and when they did this, and what it did is it ended up marginalizing um, Egypt as the second world power, if you will, at that time. So it was a pivotal point for not only this region in the world, but for Babylon itself. And again, for Nebuchadnezzar establishing a name for himself. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in 605 BC uh, to challenge Egypt's presence. And um, we see this in verse 2. Now, he was the crown prince at this time. He was the crown prince, not yet the king, as I've noted a a couple times. Uh, It's just, again, anticipating what he will become, uh, in a way speaking prophetically, calling him king at this point. Um, Well, he successfully was able to retreat uh, the Egyptians, and and he might have been able to chase them all the way back to Egypt at this time in this battle. But what had happened is uh, Nebuchadnezzar received news that his father... Um, had fallen ill, deathly ill. Um, And so he died. And he needed to go back. He needed to go back and take care of things of of the state and assume the throne. And so it it paused his progression in dealing with Egypt at that time. Egypt's dominion um, had, had been broken, and it had been broken to such a degree that this poem that we have here in this first stanza, particularly in verses three through six, um, it's mocking Egypt. It's mocking Egypt um, as this former uh, 
nation of, of might and power. So let's read those verses one more time, verses three through six, this mocking poem. It says, prepare buckler and shield and advance for battle. Harness the horses, mount, O horsemen, take your stations with your helmets, polish your spears, put on your armor. Why have I seen it? It says, why have I seen it here? Other translation says, what have I seen? What is this I see? They are dismayed and turned backward, their warriors beaten down, they fled in haste. They, they look not back. Terror on every side, declares the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. That phrase, terror on every side, that's a, a, a common phrase that we see throughout the book of Jeremiah, this, depicting this scene of just horror all around. Well, this is what the Egyptians are experiencing. It says that the swift cannot flee away, the warrior, nor the warrior escape. In the north, by the river Euphrates, they've stumbled and they've fallen. So what's described here is, you know, these officers, they, they start off here in this little short poem with confidence, a strong confidence about themselves. Um, a confidence in preparing their troops for battle. And then suddenly the Lord himself, uh, he interrupts and comes in and says, why have I seen it? You know, what is this I see? And what follows here are really six clauses um, that describe and, and mock this, this superpower. Um, it says, you know, that they are completely terrified these Egyptians, uh, they're running away and retreat, something they would never imagine of themselves. You know, as, as they're coming up to this area that they've really already possessed at this time for um, at least three to four years, um, controlling this area. A lot of pride here. They were the superpower, but now they're completely terrified and they're being running away and retreat. Instead of running into battle, their warriors, they're beaten down. Um, they're running all over the place. There's mass confusion. Um, they're not even looking back to see what's happening here as it's being described. And so that's why it says there's terror on every side. And so this is, is nothing but an absolute rout of Egypt, of putting them down. Um, and really what turned out to be a very surprising strength and, and show of strength by the, the army of Babylon. Uh, the army is now in a very hopeless situation for Egypt. Um, their, their strongest warriors have been cut down. They've been reduced um, to this level of humiliation by Babylon. Um, and they're trying to flee away, flee away on, on foot at this point. So it's it's definitely um, a time of, um, of humiliation for them. Let's go ahead and continue here. Um, in the second stanza that we see here, um, beginning in uh, verse 7, in verse 7 actually, I had rephrased, uh, it's not verse 13, but verse 7, we see God speaking in even more a, a, a way that's ironic you know why do these armies or who do they think that they are 
is kind of what he's saying here. Who do they think they are anyway? Um, their arrogant claims here uh, of rising up like the, the Nile River that we see in verse 8, this, this flooding of the Nile that it does um, uh, annually is, is being used to depict their strength that they claim to have for themselves and they certainly have proved to have up to this point. Um, so there's this, this image here of using the, this rising of the, the Nile and even beginning in verse, this, um, in verse 7 through verse uh, 9, this, this advancing picture here, this rising up of the Nile, just shows their, their pride, their pridefulness. Necho had, um, Pharaoh Necho at this time, he had, had grand success. Um, he defeated Josiah, uh, king of Judah. He had control of this very important area of the uh, Near East. And um, so their pride is, is being depicted here. That's something that we're supposed to be capturing and seeing here. Um, so once again, this, this call to begin the battle goes out in verse 9. These, these horses and charioteers advance, rage, but the, what happens is they're just running around in, in a sort of madness. It talks about their allies here. Um, uh, Kush, which is probably Ethiopia. And, um, and then it says about Put and Lud, uh, which are probably the, the nation around what we modern day Libya. And um, so these are mercenaries, really, that are helping Egypt um, engage in this battle. Well, the Lord had already determined that Egypt would lose this battle. You know, his sovereign strength is on display here. It says in verse 10, that day is the day of the Lord of hosts, something he had already planned ahead of time. It's, it is judgment that God is dealing out. Um, he's offering up Egypt as a sacrifice. Um, their wound, their, it, says, it talks about this balm here, their wounds that they suffered. They were incurable. The shame that they took upon themselves, it was inevitable. In verse 11, it says, what can the helpless Egyptians do? What can they do for themselves? Um, they're, they're taunted to go up to Gilead, which is in this area, and to bring back balm, the balm of Gilead. You may have heard that phrase before, the balm of Gilead. Um, is well known in this area to um, this, this healing balm that came from a particular tree in, in the, this, the area of Gilead. Um, they, they wouldn't have access to it anymore. They'd be helpless. They'd been rooted away from it, so they couldn't have no balm for their, for their injuries. It was, again, God depicting and showing, and at this point, prophesying their de defeat from this area. It talks about the balm of Gilead throughout Scripture, and even the Ishmaelites um, in Genesis that uh, took Joseph as a prisoner to Egypt. Um, they were trading in Balmagilead at that time, in those balms. 
So very well-known ointment in that time. And, and God's just using this here as an example of there are to a point of helplessness. Finally, in verse 12, see the nations are brought into shame and embarrassment of their situation. So, you know, this, this poem here that we're seeing, and, and that is the language that we have here is poetry. It, um, it, it ends like the, the last, in the last line of verse 6, um, with warriors stumbling and falling all over the place. So that's their humiliation. That's the first section here of 40, chapter 46 that we're talking about, this battle at Carchemish and how they're routed. And then beginning in verse 13 is the second section about Egypt, um, and it's later on. Um, this is probably around the period of 568 B.C. Um, again, if you remember what we've been talking about, how um, the remnant of Judah that didn't go to Babylon, how they were taken down by Johanan into Egypt against um, Jeremiah's will, and how he prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back in. So this is um, really talking about that time frame here beginning in verse 13. So let's read that. Verse 13 through 24. The word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Bigdol. Proclaim in Memphis and in Tophanes. Say, stand ready and be prepared for the sword shall, for the sword shall um, devour around you. Why are your mighty ones face down? They do not stand, because the Lord thrust them down. He made many stumble, and they fell. And they said to one another, Arise, and let us go back to our own people, to the land of our birth, because of the sword of the oppressor. Call the name of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, noisy one who lets the hour go by. That's quite a, a name. Noisy one who lets the hour go by. Verse 18, as I live, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, like Tabor among the mountains and like Carmel by the sea, shall one come. Prepare yourselves baggage for exile, O inhabitants of Egypt, for Memphis shall become a waste, a ruin without inhabitant. A beautiful heifer is Egypt, but a biting fly from the north has come upon her. Even her hired soldiers in her midst are like fattened calves. Yes, they have turned and fled together. They did not stand, for the day of their calamity has come upon them, the time of their punishment. She makes a sound like a serpent gliding away, for her enemies march in force and come against her with axes like those who fell trees. They shall cut her forest. They shall cut down her forest, declares the Lord though it is impenetrable, because they are more numerous than locusts, they are without number. The daughter of Egypt shall be put to shame. She shall be delivered into the hand of a people from the north. So in verses here, in this section here, particularly in verses 13 through 15, you know, prior to uh, the Babylonian invasion, you know, messengers of some type um, 
these heralds. They're there to let Egypt, Migdal, Memphis, and Tehopanes, um they need to know what's going to happen. They're being warned here. Uh, you know, being close to the border here, these Egyptian uh, cities, they would feel the rages of war first as Nebuchadnezzar comes in, this biting fly from the north. Uh, but then, just as in this, the first poem that we got, went over, there is a, a question that pops up. You know, why are your mighty ones face down? Again, that's a mocking question. You know, those who are living around Judah have already felt the sting of Nebuchadnezzar. They know how powerful he is and how he's um, commanded the region. In verse 16, um, we have the, the Egyptian troops, they're stumbling, they're falling again. Again, this is years after the Battle of Carchemish. And the same thing's happening, but now in the land of Egypt. They're stumbling and falling over one another. Um, they're in a, a, a mode of panic here, you know, trying to get out of one another's way. Those who were hired here as mercenaries, they've... They've had enough. They've really, they've had enough of even Pharaoh. You know, now they're saying to one another, let us, let us go back to our own people, to the land of our birth. These mercenaries want to leave Egypt. Let's get out of here. Um, they blame this, this whole debacle on, on Pharaoh, uh, Hophra. It's Her- Pharaoh Hophra at this time. Um, and he's, they're telling him this, he's a big mouth. He's full of air. Um, this noisy one who lets the hour go by. These mercenaries are mocking the Pharaoh here. They tend to, to blame it all on him. And so in all of uh, these confusions that's being described here, um, various military movements that's being passed on, the Lord, who is the real king, as called out in verse 18, uh, he has given his word with an oath. He made an oath here that as the mountains and, and Carmel likewise, as they stand above the landscape um, prominently, um, how Tabor um, is, is seen from far away, these you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar come in and defeat Pharaoh. Um, it was very common to see in Egyptian art depicting the power of Pharaoh as, as he was shown to be standing so much taller over his enemies. So here we have Nebuchadnezzar described as these landmarks um, that stand prominently over the landscape. That's how Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and deal with Egypt and Pharaoh Hophra. So they're being warned here. They're being warned to get ready. You know, pack up your belongings for you're going to go into exile yourselves. Uh, Memphis will be devastated, destroyed, um, to, to agree that no one will inhabit it or dwell there. Um, 
And as we continue here, we see, um, let me bring up a note here. Uh, the, these images, these series of in, images is Egypt and Babylon and described in very sarcastic ways. This, this picture is a heifer. Um, these fattened calves and the, this biting fly, the serpent, and the, these people coming in, Nebuchadnezzar and his army coming in as wood choppers, chopping down these, these trees, what stood as mighty warriors. And there's so many of them, they're described as locusts. And these hired mercies, they're like these fattened calves. Um, they've been well at ease for so long. Uh, their troops have been pampered. Um, they're not going to be any help to Egypt at all. And so as soon as this crisis happens uh, that comes upon them, they're going to turn and, and panic themselves, just like at the Battle of Carchemish. They're going to turn on their heels and they're going to run as fast as they can away. Uh, Egypt is um, being described here as a coiled serpent. Um, it was terror and the hissing of this serpent. You would see a lot of the times Pharaoh depicted with his headdress having that serpent on there. So there's a connection here in describing um, Egypt as this coiled serpent. But they, but they forget about how the terror that this hissing serpent that once was the power of Egypt um, is no longer a fair representation of them because they're now going to be running away. They're going to be locked down. There's going to be siege works placed against them. Uh, Memphis will be overthrown, these other cities, um, and there, this great number that are described as locusts are going to come in. That's the prophecy. That's the warning that's given here in this second section. And that's what's happening, um, many believe, in this time frame when uh, these remnant have been, of Judah have been brought down there and they've been warned not to take refuge in Egypt. Again, not to go back to this, to this area of bondage. The Lord had commanded them to never go back that way, and yet they did. In the next two verses, we, we kind of see a, a switch here, a change here. We see God's mercy come through. Um, again, you know, as we go through the book of Jeremiah, which is so largely a book about judgment, you know, when we find these points here where God's mercy comes through, it's something that stands out. So let's read verses 25 and 26. It says, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, said, Behold, I am bringing punishment upon Ammon of Thebes and Pharaoh in Egypt and her gods and her kings upon Pharaoh and those who trust in him. I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. Afterward, afterward, Egypt shall be inhabited as in the days of old declares the Lord. And so what appears to be a, uh, an additional oracle here, a prophecy against Egypt, God identifies who he means uh, by this northern conqueror. He makes it clear that it is Nebuchadnezzar that's coming. And there's going to be punishment. Yes, they will be facing punishment. 
just as the Lord promised Judah, they're going to face punishment. You know, for having gone after these other gods, the god of Ammon is this god of Thebes. Um, but judgment will not be the last word of God here. Um, he won't destroy them forever. He won't destroy them forever. They would be inhabited as in the former days. Uh, the city of Thebes here, um, it was uh, the names that the Greeks gave to it, Thebes. Um, it was the, the same city that the Egyptians called Waset, W-A-S-E-T. Um, Hebrews called it um, no, you know. I don't know exactly what that meant, but it had various names, but we know it as Thebes. It was really the center of worship for Egypt. It was the, the center city of worship for Egypt. And so they had the god Ammon there. Um, it was very prominent, it stood out, um, this, this, this area. It was the most important city in Egypt, in fact. Uh, located right on the Nile River. Um, in the Egyptian text, Thebes is called the city of Ammon, um, and he was referred to as the hidden one, this, this god that God's going to mock and destroy by the, through the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he was depicted as manifesting the power of the wind, this, this false god, Ammon. Um, and so he was their chief god. Later on, you've, you've probably heard of Ray, um, the sun god. And then later on, you have the, the Egyptian god Amun-Ray, a combination of the two, this over even more powerful being as the time went by. And so this was a very um, um, a powerful statement in taking down the chief city in Egypt here. Again, the same image we got back in Genesis and Exodus where um, God, def the Lord God defeated all the gods of Egypt through the plagues. That's the image we're getting here. Um, this absolute power of the Lord uh, continues throughout these verses. Uh, he's going to hand over the Egyptians um, to, to Nebuchadnezzar. He is sovereign over all things, is what he's showing here and depicting. Um, and then he shows his mercy and telling them that they're not going to be completely destroyed, that they will be inhabited again. And then finally, to the last two verses of this chapter, um, is an assurance given to Israel. Let's read those. It says, But fear not, O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So, in the book of Isaiah, just taking a, a moment here, uh, he calls Isaiah, uh, Israel, uh, the servant of the Lord. 
And that's what Jeremiah does here. He does the same thing. Uh, since the Lord speaks of all the nations here, um, it serves as an opportunity to note that God has not forgotten his favored one, Jacob. Jacob, his servant. Uh, and even though God will destroy all the nations among whom he has um, scattered Israel and scattered the people of Judah, they're not going to be totally destroyed. God's mercy will be given and granted. That's why Israel is to have no fear. That's why he tells them, have no fear. For no one will be able to make them afraid when you consider these promises of God. You know, God will reestablish the people as he promised, back as he first promised Abraham. And so what we're seeing here is all the history up to this point of, of what the Lord would do. You know, in my own time with, in the morning with the Lord, I've been going through the book of Joshua. And it even it talks there, and, and even when he's giving his final words to Moses before Moses dies, how he already predicts and says that these people will turn away from me. And they're going to be, they're going to be punished for it. And after all these centuries, this time has gone by, it's actually happening. And it's happening to these nations as well. You know, the fact that the, the oracles against the nations are all brought together in this one collection here, um, together and placed at the end of the book of Jeremiah, suggests that they are really preserved as witnesses. Witnesses of, you know, the Lord and his sovereign justice. Um, he will not be mocked. Um, and that the, those who um, have been brought up by the Lord, like prophets like Jeremiah, that he uses men to do his will. Um, this clearly demonstrates Jeremiah as being a prophet to the nations, as he said he would be at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. And so as we continue throughout these oracles, as I, you know, I give up on this, this screen here, all the way through chapter 51, we're going to see the sovereign will of God being displayed. Um, and our comfort truly is, is having known that it was Christ's mission um, was to save the people to himself. And in doing so, he suffered the judgment uh, that we deserve. Just as these nations suffered judgment that they deserved, he suffered it in our stead. And so we also, as he told Judah, or Jacob, his servant, we have nothing to fear. And so that's where we are on um, chapter 46. Next week, we're talking about chapter 47, the judgment on the Philistines. Let's go ahead and close here with a prayer.